Hey everyone, this podcast is with Joe Costanza, a young Rockstar member who in his early 20s started buying rental properties, doing duplex conversions, and has now started his own architect and design business to work with investors. We chatted about Joe's life, thoughts on investing and personal growth, advice on taking advice from other people, being a young investor, staying focused, and many other things. I really value the opportunity to sit down with other investors like Joe and pick their brain on what makes them tick and also get great tips, insights, lessons learned from them. We, we actually started this podcast talking about the upcoming first ever Rockstar Florida Educational Property Tour that is coming up on November 29th to December 2nd of 2023. One of the newest perks of being a Rockstar Inner Circle member is that we now offer members open access to purchasing Florida investment properties. We have a relationship with a large home builder in Florida that builds hundreds of brand new construction homes a year in good areas that attract good tenants and earn good rents all over Florida. A big group of Rockstar team members and Rockstar Inner Circle members will be going to Jacksonville and St. Augustine, Florida at the end of this month to meet with the builders team for information sessions, tour through some of their homes and cities that these homes are in, and also have a bunch of fun together doing some cool events. So if you're interested in purchasing Florida real estate, uh, or if you're just interested in the Florida real estate investing scene, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com slash Florida to learn more about this opportunity. We've got some great resources on this page for you to learn more, and we'll likely be adding many more resources on this page as time goes on. We do have some limited spots left to come on this tour at the end of the month. However, these spots are going quickly. So if you're interested in attending this tour to learn more about how to invest in Florida rental properties and discover their market more, you can email us at members at rockstarbrokerage.com and we'll see what we can do in terms of getting you on this tour. Rockstar members definitely have access. And uh, now onto Joe Costanza and his awesome story. So yeah, we're going to Florida on December 1st, December 2nd uh, for a Florida investment property. You were at the Your Life, Your Terms event? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you remember Jim Shields' talk? Yeah. On build, his build to rent strategy in Florida? Yeah. Where he's like building brand new construction and stuff? Yeah. So we're going to Florida as a team. Rockstar members are invited. Um, we're recording now. So if you're listening to this, <laughs> you're invited uh, December 1st, are December sure? 2nd. Yeah, we are recording. There you go. Yeah, so... <laughs> Double check that this time. <laughs> Me and Joe recorded about two, three weeks ago, and uh, we got about 40 minutes in, and just like mid me talking, I'm like, I didn't friggin' hit record, did I? <laughs> and then I like looked, and I, I like waited a second before I looked, because I'm like, I can't face it if I didn't hit record. It got very silent. Got very silent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we tried recording immediately after, and you just can't do it. No, you can't. Yeah, like it was just like, so tell me everything you just told me for the last 40 minutes. Like, <laughs> it's just weird. But yeah, Florida, uh, December 1st, December 2nd, we're going as a big group. Um, everyone's invited. There's already, I think, 17 people confirmed. Uh, probably 12, 13, 14 of us on the Rockstar team are going. And uh, we're going to tour through uh, different property types in Jacksonville, St. Augustine. We're doing like a holiday trolley tour at night through St. Augustine because it's like one of the oldest towns in Florida, mm-hmm. apparently. And they have this mm-hmm. whole like uh, night of lights festival with all these lights uh, for the holidays. Um, and then we're doing like a meetup at a bar on the Thursday night. So I think November 30th, the day before, and then uh, busing through Jacksonville, like all together, like it's just a whole big tour sitting down with the Southern Impression Homes team, which is Jim Shields company mm-hmm. um, to talk about numbers and financing and insurance, like everything you need to know as a Canadian. So it's like this whole informative session or whatever. So if you are listening to this, I didn't plan on talking about this, but email uh, members at rockstarbrokerage.com if you're interested. We can let you know the details. Uh, but yeah, we were talking about this because we're scrambling. We're all busy around here, getting ready for Florida. Mm-hmm. 
VIP classes coming up, always stuff going on, but uh, gotta keep busy. Gotta keep busy, man. So I know you keep busy, Mr. Joe Costanza. Trying, trying, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the reason I wanted to have you on in the first place is because you have a super, super impressive story. You're how how many years old? I am, I keep forgetting. How bad is that? Uh, I keep, I'm 29 now. 29, yeah. and you started investing really early. Uh, you've grown a lot as an investor. Uh, you now have started your own business, working with investors. Like you've just done a lot in a short amount of time. And uh, I was listening to another podcast Tom did earlier this week with JP McDonald. Mm. Um, and they were talking about people who start investing in their 20s. And they were like, if you're investing in your 20s, it's probably because you're pretty ambitious. Like you're a go-getter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Have you always been like that? Uh, I think I've always been. I, I've always been looking for some, not the person that's looking for something new all the time, but I've always been the person that's like, I'm willing to put in the work when when necessary. Um and I don't mind doing the monotonous things. So in that sense, I've always kind of been someone that like I have my own kind of self drive and stuff like that that pushes me. Sure. Yeah, you work hard. You, you you were working multiple jobs to to get the money for investing and stuff. Like, why are you a hard worker? Why do you not mind doing the shitty monotonous stuff? Is it because you're just Italian? And you're <laughs> it could be that. It could be just <laughs> the blood. <laughs> Is it because your ancestors laid bricks for like a hundred years and then never know? You, know, you got it in you too. So <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I just um, I feel like I find enjoyment in it. Like it's more. I I more do it for myself than like. Especially when I was starting out, like I wasn't working two to three jobs because like I was trying to save up money to buy real estate. Like I was just kind of working two or three jobs because this is like I was bored. Because uh, you wanted to. Because I wanted to. Like I find enjoyment in, in like the like working hard and, and really putting your time and effort into something because I feel like the time that I spend away from that. I enjoy that much. I enjoy that so much more. Whereas like if I'm working like this is going to sound really it's going to sound bad, but if like, if I'm working like just like a solid 40 hours a week and then I go home and I sit on my couch and I play video games, it's like, I find zero enjoyment from sitting on that couch and playing video games. Like I don't really play video games anymore, but if I was working like an 80 hour week and then I get like, like five hours of just like sitting down and like relaxing or watching TV, it's like, I enjoy the shit out of that five hours. <laughs> That's the good. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's. It's almost like I torture myself so that I enjoy the the relaxation. Whereas, yeah. like, if I don't, then I just don't enjoy the rest of it. Yeah, you don't appreciate it exactly. But like at the same time, like I still I enjoy also working hard too. So it's like I'm. I, it's a lifestyle that I've kind of built for myself, and I enjoy part of it. So how much would you say you work now? Well, now since like actually starting the business, obviously I'm working a lot harder than I was before. Um, whereas before, I think I was um, like in, when, we'll get into the story, but I was working for a construction project manager dealing with large construction sites. And I was probably working about maybe 50 hours a week. Um, and I've had two jobs my entire life. Um, as Since I was 16, I had two jobs. Um, and like this was like the first like year where I just like only had one job. And so I was putting like a lot of effort into the job, just like, trying to be there early, being there late kind of idea. Um, but I like, I was finding myself just like at night, very bored and I was just filling it with other things. Um, and so now since starting my own business, like obviously anyone who knows who started their own business, like you go from working like eight, nine hours a day to working 12, 15 hours a day. Um, 
And so my time is mostly filled up doing that when we're looking for real estate. But to your point about you just wanting to work hard, does any of this feel like a sacrifice to you? No. Because it's what you want to be doing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's part of it. You have to, right? You have to enjoy it. If you're not enjoying... I mean, like, there's... I think there's value in doing things that you don't enjoy. Like, there's a, a, a... element of like learning how to persevere through something that I think you need to get through. Like we've all done shit where we're just like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. Like I've had things that like, I can say like, I love investing in real estate, but there are times where it's like, I'll be dealing with something. And it's like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, this is like, I got so much other stuff going on. It's like, I don't want to deal with this stupid tenant complaint that I really should just be hiring a project man, property manager to deal with. But like, I've decided that I'm going to deal with my own properties. And now I got to deal with this stupid tenant complaint. It's like, there are things that you're going to do where you don't want to do them, but you just have to do them. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think I'd that's important. Even more often than, than you enjoy <laughs> things that you like. I know. Um, but I think those are important moments as well to like actually build some calluses. Yeah. Some character. Yeah. Exactly. It's almost like even if you love working out, you love how it makes you feel. It's a habit you've developed for yourself. There's still every time before you start where you're like, ah, I don't want to do this. Yeah, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And that happens, you know, it depends how much you love working out, but can happen pretty frequently. Yeah. And then it's like mid workout, you know, it can just really suck. Yeah. Because it's just painful, but you're like, you still enjoy it in a weird kind of way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I find that right now. It's right now for me, that's waking up early. I've been trying to get up a lot earlier and uh, getting to the gym in the morning. And that's been a, that's been a struggle for me. Cause I feel like I'm, I, I work most productively at night when I'm like, I, I work most productively on my business in the morning, but I work most productively with other things outside of the business at night. And so it's like this conflicting thing right now that I'm trying to deal with. Um, so, I mean, that's the same thing. Like right now I'm trying to wake up earlier and it's a, it's a struggle. (laughs) So what are like the pros and cons of now doing your own thing full time and not working another job? I feel like I just have, I have more of my, of my life back. I feel like I I'm working, I'm working harder than I have in the past. Um, on one specific thing, like obviously like when you have three things on the go, like obviously juggling a whole bunch of things is a lot more difficult. Um, but I'm, I'm, working a lot harder on this and I'm working a lot longer. Um, but I feel like my, because my stay is so flexible and my hours are so flexible, if I need to wake up and just like from like nine o'clock to nine o'clock work on one thing just to get it hammered out, like I can do that. No problem. Mm -hmm. So, or if I want to take like a two hour lunch to take someone out for coffee or whatever, like I have the flexibility to do that. So that's that part of it. I really enjoy. So having, kind of the ability to adjust my schedule as I like is uh, something that uh, I haven't really experienced before because I've always been working like a T4, a T4 job. So. Yeah. Have you found a downside to that unstructured time in keeping yourself yeah, disciplined? Well, yeah, that, that's the biggest problem. It's like you have to keep yourself accountable to what you say you're going to do. Like if I tell myself I'm going to wake up and so that goes for anyone who's kind of working for themselves, right? Um it's like, if you tell yourself you're going to wake up at this time, you need to wake up. If you tell yourself that you're going to go to the gym today, but you're like, you wake up and you're like, I have so much work to do. It's like, you have to, like, if you told yourself you're going to go to the gym, you got to go to the gym, right? It's just like, you have to really instill a lot more self-discipline when you're working for yourself, but that goes for anything. How do you keep yourself accountable then? Uh, I keep a lot of trackers. So ever since I started, um, I never used to do a lot of like tracking and, uh, and like, I don't think I really did a good job keeping myself accountable before, before I like actually started my own business. But now that I'm really 
deep into it. You keep checking the recording. I keep checking, <laughs> You're dude, so, I'm so paranoid. paranoid. <laughs> I'm so paranoid. I keep checking that we're recording. <laughs> Sorry, man. I don't want to no, throw you good, off here. Uh, it's the, that was the worst, just, like, <laughs> gutting feeling, man. Like, 40 minutes in, you drove here from, like, Woodbridge, I think, right? Yeah. And then it's like, ah, oh, God. That's okay. Yeah. Anyways. I don't remember where we left off. Though. You were tracking, is it habits? Uh, things? No. Well, it's like, I'll, uh, I'll build out a week for myself, and it's like, these are the things I need to do every week. Right. It's like I need to go to the gym five days a week. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to I need to call this many people. I need to. Right. So having that tracker in place, it's like I don't have a schedule per se for every day. Like I build the schedules like three days in advance. Like what am I doing for the next three days kind of idea? Uh, and I block out time. But uh, for me, it's been um, like keeping myself accountable has been like this is what like putting in writing, this is what I'm doing every week. And it's like, those are my goals this week. It's just like getting those things done. Right. And that's a consistent every week thing that I need to do. Hmm. Uh, so that keeps me accountable just to myself. And cause at the end of the week, cause every day at the end of every day, I go through the tracker. It's like, what did I get done this today? If I said I was going to do 20 cold calls, it's like, how many cold calls did I get done? Okay. I got done 19, 20 cold calls. Okay, cool. Done 20 cold calls. And it's like at the end of the week, if I had promised myself, like my, my week is basically the same every single week in terms of like goals and objectives um, or KPIs, however you want to, however you want to classify it. But <clears throat> like, if I don't get that done, it's like, I know where I fell short. I, I didn't knock on this many doors. I didn't call this many people. I didn't uh, put 20 hours of work into this thing that I wanted to do. Right. Um, and it's like right in your face of this is what you didn't do this week. And it's like, so that keeps me accountable because it's it's like first thing I see when I wake up is my tracker. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah. Do you think you're tracking it more partly just because you have the time and, and you've had the time to almost reflect and be like, if I'm not tracking these things, I'm not keeping up. Whereas opposed to before when you're working and then, you know, starting your business part-time and then also investing in real estate, you just like didn't have the headspace to think about that type of stuff. Maybe a little bit, but I've also felt like um, diving into because real estate is entrepreneurship, but it's also not entrepreneurship at the same time because it's like it's a little bit more of a passive way to do entrepreneurship, if that makes sense. Um, now, kind of diving into my own business, I feel like uh, like the business doesn't grow if you don't like actually put effort into it. And so if I'm not putting work into it every single day then it's not going anywhere. And if, um, I kind of lost my train. Of now you're that. checking if we're recording. Yeah, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So real estate, so that it's a fair comparison. I feel the same way. Yeah. I think it's a lot harder to run your own business than to run a rental property portfolio. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel like that's the case? Is it because, so I'll let you know for me, it's like with real estate, once I do that work up front, it's, it's kind of running. Then like once I, get the house, execute the strategy, put the tenant in and it's, you know, I've screened the tenant. It's a good tenant. They're paying rent. Then it's just maintenance things after that. Yeah. Or a tenant turnover. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's not like a, it's not an active business in that degree. Like the, the property is going to do what it does. And like, obviously like the, the upfront work with real estate is really heavy. Like you need to make sure that you're placing the right tenant. You need to make sure that the renovation is a quality renovation where the tenant that is there wants to stay like you need to have all these things done up front but once that's done like you said it's pretty much hands off 
Yeah. Um, like there's issues that come up. You need to deal with things all the time. Yeah. I feel like we have to say it carefully, like yeah. hands off until it's not <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden on like exactly. a Sunday night. Yeah, exactly. And it always seems to come down. It's like for me, at least it's like all the properties have issues all at the same time. Like mm-hmm. I sent out, I, I do like a rent increases and uh, obviously like I, I sent out my rent increases this uh, ooh, a few weeks back. Um, and like I scheduled to come out and do like my like unit inspections. And to be honest with you, I don't spend a lot of time managing the properties at all. Like they're pretty self-managed. I have like VAs that deal with a lot of the communication, uh, and stuff like that. So I'm not really at the properties that much, but I like to be at like the inspections and talk with the, the tenants and stuff like that. And it just seems like everyone at the same time sent me like a whole bunch of issues that need to get resolved. And it's just like, that is basically my whole day. Like after this, it's just like dealing with like tenant issues and filling things. It tends to happen all at the same time rather than like this week or then this week. And then this, it's just like everything kind of, especially around those inspections because there's all these little maintenance issues that, you know, your tenants didn't tell you about Mm. until you go see them and you talk to them in person. And they're like, Oh yeah, well there's this, 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 and this. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I try to, for me. Um, so what I do, um, anyone who kind of does their own property management, what I do is I usually have my tenants send me a list of everything that, um, that you haven't taught that you haven't told me about. So like anything, doesn't matter how small it is, tell me what what your issue is and send me an email. And so from that email, then I send those emails to my handyman who gets everything ready. And then I meet him on the property for the walkthrough inspection to go through that list that they gave us and pull anything else from that list. And sometimes like obviously, like it's a things that something that the, the tenant damaged that like they're responsible to pay. And we just kind of figure out kind of where, what items are what items and any additional items. And then that list gets made. Any items that can get addressed like immediately, if it's just like, hey, a door's coming loose or something like that, like we address it on the spot. Anything that needs like to be revisited, then we just schedule, I schedule them with my handyman to come back and and do all Hmm. that stuff. And your handyman likes that approach too? I'm uh, no, no, <laughs> doesn't have a choice. He, uh, I, uh, I keep him busy, even just sending him out with referrals and stuff like that. We have a good relationship that I built with him over the last four years. He's dealt, he deals with all my properties. Um, are all, <clears throat> all your properties in Hamilton? So I had a, I had a handful in Sudbury, um, and we can get into kind of that stint, um, a little bit, but that, I've recently sold off the last uh, last property in in Sudbury, more because, sorry, I was uh, I'm putting myself. I just want to put myself in a little bit more of a liquid position to be able to start acquiring more assets, um, and so that's the primary reason is just getting myself into more of a liquid position. So were those the properties you didn't care about that you cared about the least or the worst performing ones? Like why why'd you offload those ones? Um, so. I offloaded one kind of as a whole tail. That was number one. That was the first one I offloaded because uh, the project was a lot. Um, I was kind of pulling back at the same time. The market was kind of taking, was was hindering. It was like peak 2020, peak 2020. Uh, was it peak 2020? Peak 2021. Peak 2021. Uh, and so I just wanted to, I wanted to let go of it, um, because I had a whole bunch of, I had another project going on in Hamilton at the time. I didn't have the funds to do both. And it wasn't really, there wasn't enough meat on the bone there for me to, uh, go private and really kind of finance it privately and whatnot, at least not for me. 
So end up wholetailing it, made $5,000, called it a day, whatever. Uh, there was another property that I had up there um, that kind of got halfway through a renovation. That uh, it's just one thing after another. Things were going south, and uh, I decided to exit that property. Um, took a profit, took a pretty decent profit on it actually, because we bought it at such a great price. Uh, and now it was a few years later. I decided to just exit that last property um, because um, it, it was at a point where it was just like it was uh, an interest-only payment, and it was making like a hundred dollars a month. Uh, and locking it into because it was on a variable locking it into like a fixed mortgage would put it at a negative and uh, it wasn't an asset that I really cared to hold per se um, it had had problems in the past and so there was a chunk of equity that was just sitting there that I could use in kind of another in like another purchase redistribute that capital um, and so I just decided it was just time to let it go and taking that whatever that that ball, that chunk of money and bring it back in and and trying to see where the opportunities are to to use it hmm. right do you feel like you you know you've developed as an investor that you think about capital differently and from when you first started just like buying a house to to building the portfolio to now you seem to have a grasp on like <clears throat> you know where's my capital really working and how to allocate that better do you think that's just a skill you've developed I think I'm getting better at it. Um, I think when you're involved in it for so much longer, you understand the value. You, there's value in having capital at work, and then there's dead capital. Um, and you, when you're, if you're doing this long enough, you need to have an understanding. It's like this house is not making me any money, or this asset is not performing as it should, and you need to be able to liquidate that easily. Um, I think where people really get caught up is when they get emotional and I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience, right? Um, right. That's where I've lost the most money. That's where I've taken the largest hits is when I've been emotional about something. So now I'm very cold about my approach with things. But, um, so I, to answer your question, yes, I think my mindset towards, uh, capital has definitely changed. Um, how much? I'm not really sure. I'm sure um, it, it has greatly. I, I'm sure it's definitely transitioned a lot. Um, the emotions but, that you talk yeah. about that have held you back, like what emotion has that been? Whether you're in a partnership with somebody and uh, like maybe like <clears throat> I bought a property. Um, I can't remember when it was. Maybe it was last year. Uh, we closed on it. We had purchased it the year before. Um, and it took uh, like one thing after another was going wrong with the closing. Um, and by the time we were end up closing on it, we had like 200 plus, this is like when everything spiked. And then just before it dropped, we had like $200,000 of like built in equity just from like one, we bought it at probably like $95,000 below market value. And then by the time we closed the market had appreciated and we had like 200, 250 of, of equity of just built in equity, just sitting there holding the property. And I had partners on the property and they were like, no, let, let's just sell. Let's take our 250 and we'll we'll worry about like we'll, we'll worry about it later. But it was a property that I was chasing for a long time. And I think uh, the property is a great asset, will become a great asset even in the future. It's a duplex on the mountain that can be turned into a fiveplex very easily. Large property, great rents, like still cash flows, even with the even with the market that we're in right now. So it's like it's performing well, even in today's market. And so I didn't want to let it go, and so I kind of had a quarrel with a, with a, with an investor, with one of my partners, and we decided just to to keep it. <clears throat> if 
like selling that property, like I would be sitting in a much better position right now to continue to buy assets. And so, um, i I think that like that in terms of like emotional decisions, that was definitely one of those emotional decisions because I'd come, I was coming off of like, um, selling other properties. I didn't want to sell this one. It was a b- bunch of stuff that was going on at the same time. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. It seems like a wise decision though, to hold on to the, the good long-term asset that has all that long-term upside. It does. But then you come into the the whole argument. It's like, do you want cash up front now or do you want to hold the asset long-term? And uh, if you run the numbers, like looking back, it probably would have been a better idea to sell now, take that capital uh, and redistribute that capital into uh, like two or three more assets mm. rather than the one that it's in right now. Right. What about refinancing it, keeping that one? And then well, that yeah, would have been a great option, but then the market decided to take <laughs> a little dumble. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so many variables to think yeah. about, right? The nice thing is, like that, the the smart decision there was we held it for the the purpose that we had that equity in place, and we haven't really lost any money on it because um, because we were in such a great position when we started. Um, the only money that we lost on the, when the market kind of pulled back a bit was the equity that we had already had in the property. And so we're not out anything, right? Um, even if we sell today, we're selling at a profit, even despite the amount of work that we put into it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're in a bad position with the property. It's just could have been a better position. Hmm. You mentioned you were chasing this one for a long time. So how did you get this one? Yeah, this was a off market deal that kind of turned into an, it was an on market deal that turned into an off market deal that turned into an on market deal that turned into an off market deal. It was a back and forth. <laughs> yeah. So how did this come about? Is this a property on the same street as one you own or someone in the It's just one that I network? was kind of tracking for a little while. It kind of went on and off for a few years and uh uh, kind of persevered to kind of continue to contact the the seller um, because I saw that it kind of came on and off the market for like during hot periods, like mm. during COVID when everything was kind of selling like wildfire, it kind of kept coming on and off and on and off and on and off. And so there was something there and um, just and kind of going back and forth with the tenant, with the owner, with the realtor was able to make something work. Okay. How'd you get in touch with the owner? The agent put you... Uh, I uh, had knocked on the doors with the tenants, asked uh, them for the owner's contact information, kind of went from there. Yeah, good for you, man. Yeah. Have you picked up a few properties like that or any other ones? Um, no, no. Uh, I wholesaled one that was like that, but not not like a actual purchase. That was mm-hmm. the first one that we actually executed on that we had been knocking on doors and trying to find something. Yeah. So I haven't heard of too many people actually wholesaling in Canada. It always seemed to be a U.S. thing. So how did how did how did that process work for you? I sold I more sold it to a friend rather than like the full wholesaling process. Like there's wholesalers out there that are doing it very successfully. Yeah, I'm not one of those people. So you just reached out to someone in your network. Yeah, I had the property. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna close on it, and it was just a small kind of here you go. Um, thing. So how does one turn a duplex on the Hamilton mountain to a fiveplex? Uh, well, one, uh, it needs to be the right property. Not every property is going to be able to do it. Like, I guess What, what type of home is this? Like a Victorian home that can be chopped up? It's just a really large duplex. It was a one and a half story, um, on a good size lot that then got added another, 
uh, half story or not half story, but another kind of whole house on the rear. So now it's basically two houses mashed together. It was just an extension that the owner yeah with on. its own basement. No, they they that was like their their old duplex. So they built a whole new building, a whole new house on the back as the secondary unit. That secondary unit has its own basement. My the one and a half story up front has its own basement. Uh, and then on top of that, there's a 500 square foot garage in the rear. Mm. Uh, and so you could so duplex both of those. Duplex both of those, and then put the garage suite in, which would make me, which would make five. And the zoning would allow for that in that area. No, so right now the zoning only allows for four. Um, but you see it coming. Down I, the I see it coming down the pipeline. So it's more of just like holding the asset long term to be able to do that. Okay. Now your background, we didn't discuss it on this podcast. Mm. We, we discussed it on the last, last one. Though. We discussed a whole lot of great <laughs> things on the last one. Uh, your background is an architect and that is the business you're starting. It's, it's architecture and design services specifically for real estate investors. Yeah. Or at least that's your, your preferred market, right? Yeah. 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 So I've worked in, I worked in architecture for just shy of a decade. Um, from there I transitioned from working with, uh, like as a consultant to working with, uh, like project managers. So working in the construction project management field, Dealing with budgets, dealing with timelines, dealing with people's schedules and finances um, on like larger, larger projects. Um, from there, um, obviously, with everything that's going on with interest rates and stuff like that, um, that industry got really compressed. Mm. Um, like there's not a lot of um, projects getting canceled, um, staffing on that side of things, especially the construction management, because projects are getting canceled, are getting squeezed into lesser and lesser projects. And so companies are finding ways to to kind of mitigate some of their their liabilities, let's say. Um, and some of those liabilities are people. <laughs> people <laughs> um, like Joe Costanza? Yes. Um, you're an asset, yeah. man. You're yeah. not alive. <laughs> Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, and so... It seemed in, like the natural time. It, se to, it seemed like the natural time um, to kind of start something on my own. And you had been doing architecture work on all your own conversions. Yeah, I've been, well, I've been doing architecture work on all of my own conversions, but I've also was like over the last five years, I was doing side jobs for people. If someone needed like drawings done, like I would do it for them, no problem. Um, Is it like I wasn't duplex, really, yeah, triplex conversions? Duplexes, triplexes. I wasn't really promoting it. It was more on like a personal level. If I knew you and you needed somebody, like I'd happily do it for you. Um, it was just kind of like a little side gig that I had on top of everything else that was just kind of like easy money, not easy. I want to say easy money, but like easy for me to get into mm -hmm. per se. Um, and especially during COVID when everything was booming and other architects and other designers were extremely swamped with everyone's projects. It was just kind of a natural flow. I kind of took some of other people's overflow, let's say, um, just doing side jobs. And so when everything happened with the full-time gig in the construction management side, I decided that it was time to just go off on my own. And so that's what, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing, I'm really helping investors with their duplexes, triplexes, garden suites, that kind of thing right now. Um, and a lot of people are struggling on that side to find financing, but there are a handful of people that are still kind of very mm. interested in getting What advantages has being an architect given you as, as an, as an investor? Is it just having vision for properties and knowing what you can do structurally mm -hmm. to add <clears throat> units or create or bring properties to their highest value? Like this is something I'm finally gaining some vision for now that I have more experience is walking into a house and 
seeing how it can be chopped up or how it can be converted to a duplex or maybe a triplex or student rental, but I'm nowhere near. I think there's definitely, there's definitely been pros and cons to it. Like, um, yes, to that degree, like I can walk into a house and like, I can tell you like basically within minutes of seeing the house, is there a possibility to turn this into three units? Is there a possibility to turn this into two units or whatever? Um, three, four or five, doesn't matter how many, like we can, like, I can pretty much tell you like with good certainty as long as like the zoning and everything makes sense, like if it's possible here. Mm. Um, and so it's been an asset to me in terms of like doing the larger scale renovations. I think where it's hindered me is because I'm so much in that mindset. A lot of the times I miss some of the kind of smaller projects that maybe like an easy flip or like a cosmetic renovation. Cause I think intellectually I've been looking for kind of projects where they're larger scale renovations. And so now I think the thing that I'm teaching myself and really learning is how do I look at things a little bit more simply? Um, because I can look at something complex and look at like a, a triplex that can be turned into a sixplex very easily. Like where can we add units? Where can you add additions? Where, where's the, where can we stretch and pull this space to be a larger unit um, or a smaller unit or whatnot? Um, where I'm struggling, is, where I've struggled in the past is definitely looking at kind of smaller spaces. Uh, and saying, okay, well, what are the cosmetic stuff that we can do here to make it like to turn a, like to turn a profit on a small flip. Uh, so it's something that I've taught myself, but yes, definitely in terms of like looking at larger scale renovations. Um, it so was more so just aspect. having an eye for like design. Yeah. Having, having an eye for an understanding of how space works and how to actually, um, like cut up spaces and how, yeah, basically. Yeah, but like design, like the cosmetics, like, okay, what could paint and sanding this thing down and yeah. putting some new hardware on, turn that kind of around? More so from that angle you're, you're thinking? Um, no, I'm saying from like, like, yes, kind of, I guess. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. Okay, yeah. Now, last time we talked about the advantage of working with an architect or any professional really that is an investor themselves mm -hmm. because they can see things differently. Like last time you had an example of, I think someone was asking you about adding a triplex addition on or something. And you were like looking at it from a landlord tenant board angle. Mm. Do you remember that story? Well, I think so. This is my advice to anyone who's looking to like, if they're looking at properties and they're like, oh, this property can be turned into like five units. And you have to really look at it from a perspective of an investor too. Right. Like as much as we're, we're can, we can be like, oh, I can turn this single family home into five units. You have to also look at what's the what is the best case scenario for that property. And sometimes the best case scenario is not turning it into a fiveplex. And the reason being is what it comes down to is what is the tenant profile that you're going to get on the property? You may make, let's say, a thousand dollars more a month on this property if I turn into a fiveplex. Right. Great. Okay, cool. The numbers make sense. Everything on paper looks like it works. But then you have to ask yourself, what is the tenant quality that I'm going to get from this? Right. Because if the tenant quality is going to, that I'm going to get from this is someone who may not pay their rent or may default on their loans or may this or that. And you end up going to the landlord tenant board and you don't get rent for, let's say, five, six months. Well, then where's that thousand dollars? Mm. Right. Like, okay. So now you have nothing. Right. Mm. Um, Whereas what is the tenant quality if I go to, let's say, like a triplex, 
Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, maybe the the space is a little larger. I'm not doing all one bedrooms. I have two bedrooms. I'm going to get families, young families. I'm going to get couples. I'm going to get like a good mix of like quality tenants with quality jobs. It's like, I personally, myself, I'm going to take the quality tenants over taking the shittier tenants with less rents uh, or sorry, shittier tenants with a little bit more rents. One, they're more headache to deal with, especially considering I right now manage my own properties. But two, I also know that the tenants that are good quality, they're going to stay a little longer. They're going to take better care of the unit. I'm not going to have as much turnover. I'm not going to have as much maintenance and repairs that need to be done to the property. So when you start adding up all those hidden costs, sometimes doing less is more. Hmm. So it's just looking at the bigger picture. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I think that comes from that comes from experience. That comes from understanding how... Um, how tenants work and like what type of tenants are better quality tenants and stuff like that. And like, don't get me wrong. A lot of people make a lot of great money doing, um, I don't want to say lower quality, but in dealing with maybe the lower end side of the tenants, this, the C's and the D tenants, and they make a lot of money doing that. And so I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is that if you're just an average investor coming in and going, I won't like, I see this house has amazing potential. Look at, all avenues and look at all aspects of that deal because there uh, there's with every decision that you make there are trade-offs mm-hmm. right and so understanding what decisions you're making is key and understanding what the trade-offs like if you understand that you're getting less tenant quality by doing the fiveplex and you're comfortable with the hidden risk that's associated with that then great okay then that under at least understand what you're getting yourself into mm-hmm. where i think a lot of investors go wrong is they just strictly look at numbers and because they're just looking at numbers they're ignoring all the aspects of renovations or aspects of decisions that they're making that can affect them long term mm-hmm. right? yeah the spreadsheets is really just one small tiny component yeah of like overall life and all the different variables and aspects that go into it, like stress levels of these renovations or the bad tenants that you could possibly acquire and how much work that's going to be down the road. And yeah, you really do have to look at the bigger picture. Um, You mentioned you use VAs. I wanted to ask you about that. How do you use VAs in your property management? Uh, So I use VAs more for uh, filling units and managing tenants. Um, So I do that in a few ways. So I have VAs that do a lot of the marketing for me for any units that come up. So what are you doing? You send them the photos of the property address and you're like, write me an ad, post it on Facebook. It's the same script every time. It's, uh, I have the I have a script written for every unit and I do that right at the beginning and that gets saved on like obviously like a Google Drive with all that information, with all the photos, everything. What I do is they have access to those folders. I tell them which units are being rented. Uh, they post those ads for me with that same text. Uh, the only thing that changes on that text is the actual rent itself. <clears throat> and then they deal with the communication. Um, cause I'm sure, you know, like messaging you back and forth on Facebook messenger, when you have like 50 people messaging you for this unit, mm-hmm. it's, it's a nightmare, especially when you have a lot of stuff going on. It's painful. Yeah. It's painful. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to deal with that. Like only send me the people that are qualified. So they basically sift through everybody. I have a list of questions that they have to, that tenants need to answer before. You send them that list directly on Facebook? So the VAs send them the list. Yeah. They send them those list of questions. Um, you let them know your criteria. Yeah. Once, once they sift through those, like one, people usually ask if the unit's available and then they end up don't responding even after you send them the information. So that gets sifted out. So I don't have to deal with that. And then the second kind of... Uh, let's call it uh, 
milestone is they need to um, like answer the question. Once I get the answers to the questions, what are the correct, not correct answers, but like there are, do they meet your minimum criteria? Yeah. Minimum criteria. Yeah. Right. So once I have, once I, once the, my VAs have sifted through the people who have answered and then the people who have answered and that meet my minimum criteria, then at that point, um, they send me those people and all I'm talking to are the people that have met the minimum criteria. Mm-hmm. Right. And then from there, my VA will schedule, um, a, so I give them basically two days a week that we'll do showings. Uh, sometimes I have other people do my showings. Sometimes I do my own showings. Depends on the situation. Um, Who are the people you're hiring to do the showings? Uh, so sometimes it's um, like sometimes I'll hire other tenants that I have in other places. Or sometimes I will hire um, like someone that I trust that lives close by. Uh, other times it's a realtor. Um, it really depends. I'm trying to, I think that's a, my next step is really trying to hire someone out that would do it a little bit more consistently for me. Um, but I've recently turned over like, like 60% of my units. So at, to be honest with you, I don't see it turning over anytime soon as well. So, mm-hmm. um, I think if the, like going forward, I want to have somebody, but, um, yeah, it's just like someone that I, I know that would be like, they take a cut, obviously, like I'm going to, going to give them a cut for if the unit gets rented. Um, but yeah, that's basically how much do you pay the VAs and what's the pay structure? Um, so like there's two different avenues. You can find VAs, uh, from like, um, like online through like Indonesia or Thailand, stuff like that. Uh, I tend to like dealing with VAs that work in Canada. So I pay, it's basically minimum wage. They pay me like an hourly minimum. I pay them an hourly minimum wage to go through everything. And it's it's not a lot of work. Like it's one hour a day uh, at most um, to actually sift through this work. So whatever minimum wage is, it's usually what I pay them. Okay. What website do you use for that? Um, so I've, I use, I've, in the past, I've used things like Upwork or things like Fiverr and stuff like that. Um, and I just have someone that I work with right now who she deals with. She's the person that I've dealt with for all of it. So she deals with everything, right? Okay. Now. So she bills you like an hour a day. Yeah. And then you just e-transfer or something at the end of a week? Yeah, basically. Yeah. She sends me like a, she sends me a, a, an invoice and I just pay it. And you found setting all this up has been worth it for you? Uh, it's definitely worth it in terms of, because I don't want to have to deal with, um, like there's already enough that I'm, I feel like I'm dealing with. I don't want to, on top of that, have to answer 25, 50 people a day, um, messaging me about things. And then half of those people don't respond. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to deal with it. Like I'd rather pay someone $50 a week to just take that off my plate. And like, what am I doing? How long am I doing it for? Usually within like, um, within a month I'm finding somebody. So $200 I'm paying somebody to sift through all the let's call it bullshit. Yeah. It's worth it to me. Yeah. And then maybe some money for showings and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You, exactly. You trust your tenants enough to, to do the showings and kind of, vet I, I've only let like one tenant actually do the showing that yeah. because like I, I trusted her to actually do it. She was a long time tenant. We had a good relationship. I don't, I didn't see her ever like things going south. I also didn't have anyone else at the time. So, and I couldn't make it out. And this person really wanted, these people really wanted to see the unit. And so it was just an easy, easy compromise. Okay. So, uh, we were just talking before this about the area quality of tenants and location. So what do you like? And you know, the pros and cons of, of picking better ones and picking worse ones. What do you personally prefer and why? 
of what tenant in terms quality? of in terms of the type of units you buy how well you renovate them how nice the units are mm -hmm. the tenants you're trying to attract what are you aiming for in your portfolio uh i tend to lean to not like high high quality tenants but i tend to lean towards like the the b b plus tenants um a lot of my tenants um especially the newer tenants because uh, i'm doing a lot more work to the units as they kind of come in uh, to the newer units um it's like a lot of my tenants are like project managers or uh, or doctors, not doctors, but uh, I have lawyers, I have um, financial advisors, nurses. Um, so it's like I lean towards more of the B plus, A minus kind of tenants. Mm -hmm. um, usually like the return on your investments slightly less with something like that, but the headache is much less than dealing with someone, maybe a lower quality tenant. Yeah. You mentioned last time that you'd like to renovate the units to a state that you would want to live there yourself. Mm -hmm. and that's it, usually my standard. Yeah. That's just a personal rule you've set for yourself. It's a personal rule I've set for myself. I also, it's at the end of the day, I think you have to be comfortable with the investment that you're making. Uh, and for me, I feel uncomfortable in, in like I have properties that, um, that I've maybe inherited tenants where I haven't kicked them out where, um, I'm looking at their, their unit and it's like i could do so much to this unit i wouldn't feel comfortable living here i feel bad about renting it to these people mm -hmm. because i wouldn't live there um and so it's just become this standard that i've set for myself it's like if i don't feel like within reason yeah right yeah. and obviously like my my personal situation has changed as i've kind of grown in the industry so maybe that the view is maybe slightly changed from when i started but uh, at this point, I just don't feel comfortable renting to somebody if I wouldn't feel comfortable living there. Um, I don't see the downside of that strategy. As long as you're not going like over and beyond with finishings exactly. that actually don't give you that return. Yes. But I really don't see a downside. I only see upside because you're always going to stand out from the competition. You're always going to have the nicest unit available for rent. And or like, one of the nicer ones. What, uh, yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, I'm not trying to, like, we're not trying to go hot, super high end here. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, it's like, it's still quality finishes. We still do, like, a good job to the unit. The standard you're talking about is definitely above average. From renting a bunch of homes out and seeing what's out there on the market, mm. like, landlords are a lazy man. There's a lot of lazy landlords. Well, I've, I've walked through a bunch. It's even. not hard to stand out from yeah. the competition, man, with a good ad and a good property in the first place. But even the ads out Even there, sometimes, I'm surprised. When, I, when, I'm, when we're posting ads online, I'm looking at other people's ads, and I'm like, you see it more than I see it. And you see what people are renting things out for. I'm like, who is renting these places? Yeah, yeah. Right. And this is not to knock to anybody. Like every strategy is different. This is just a personal comfort level more than anything else. Yeah. I also find that like the higher quality spaces tend to attract higher quality tenants, yeah. which tend to leave the units in better condition. Well, not even better, but at least the same condition as when they found it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those tenants for me, at least, like if something goes wrong, they just fix it themselves and or they'll let me know and then they kind of deal with it. Like if I had tenants just call their own plumber, call their own plumbing agencies and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't really suggest it, but like in certain situations where I like, I know that this person has been taking care of this unit, like basically the same way that I would take care of the unit. Yeah. Like I know that they're not going to hire some Joe blow off the street who just yeah. like can work plumbing together. You develop a relationship exactly. and trust with somebody that yeah. they're going to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. So why are you doing all this, man? Why did you get into real very, estate in the first? Very good question. 
Um, I, you know, when people ask, ask that question, I, I'm always like hesitant to actually answer it because it's, it's a complicated one, right? Because I feel like you're probably the same. Like a lot of people have the same answers. It's financial freedom. It's time freedom. It's, um, it's, it's all of those things, but it's also none of those things. Like as much as I'm, as much as I want to invest in real estate because of the things that it offers, like time freedom, financial freedom, I didn't get into it because of that. Right. Um, and I think those things are all apparent, like time freedom, financial freedom and all those other things that people are very like living life on your own terms. Like that's all true when it comes to real estate. But it's, that's an overtime thing. That's not going to be like you're not buying your first property and going your first investment property and goes, I am financially free. Like, free, baby. <laughs> it's like it just doesn't. You're not, even if you're getting up to like like five, 10 units, like you're not like sitting there and going, I have no more worries. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's great. Real estate has offered me the opportunity that the position that I am in right now, I can take the leap of faith and I can start my own business because I know I have that asset base between crypto holdings, between properties, between uh, equities that I can take a little bit more risk in starting a business. And I'm not going to be putting myself on the back foot trying to, um, like catch catch up to anybody survive. or survive or whatever yeah right yeah you can like, think long term exactly because and you're not just trying to pay rent next month or yes put food on the table and so that's what real estate has offered me um and i think um in some sense that is kind of why i'm doing it but the larger thing for me is real estate has always been something that i've been really interested in ever since i was really young um and It's something that, um, like, if I had had more influence when I was younger, I would have started much, much earlier than I even did. Mm. Um, so looking at it from that perspective, all I'm trying to do, I think, and this is going to sound slightly emotional, but um, is make, be someone that the younger version of me can look up to. Mm. And as long as I can do that and I can make the person that I'm going to be when I'm 80 happy, like proud of the person that I'm, the decisions that I made today, then that's why I'm buying it. Um, and I think um, in some sense, buying real estate marries those two decisions together. Um, it makes the um, person that I'm going to be when I'm older, much happier uh, and lives a much more fulfilled life. But at the same time, it's someone that I can look up to um, because it's been such a, key thing in my I guess in my interests growing up hmm. real estate and architecture and everything associated with construction and stuff like that um and so um yeah it kind of marries those two worlds together for me yeah I like that do you ever think like what would 40 year old Joe Costanza be telling me right now to be doing what would 50 year old Joe Costanza yeah. be telling myself to do right now do you ever think about it like that I don't think about it like that I think very similar to you, um, uh, I have made a very conscious effort going through real estate to surround myself with people who have much more experience than I do. And it doesn't mean necessarily experience in real estate, but even just life experience in general. Um, like the same thing with you being here with Rockstar, like there's so much wealth of information here. So many people here who've been in the game for so long. There's so many stories that you can pull information from, right? And Sometimes that information is don't take that private mortgage. You don't need to buy that house on super leverage. Like just wait. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just be patient. Like 
that advice is invaluable. And that advice is the advice that I've surrounded myself with. And I think especially for younger people, I'm sure you've felt it. Um, when you're talking with people our age or talking with people younger or in their early 30s, and they're talking about like buying on like leveraged private mortgages and all this other stuff, um, and they're taking high risk. I've always felt uncomfortable with those conversations. It's a great way to, to build wealth, but as long as you have those safety nets in place, right, and you understand the risk that you're taking, I think a lot of people that jump into those things don't, and that's because they listen to people who may not have that life experience. Um, and so to answer your question, no, I don't really look at what would the 50, 40-year-old self of me say, but I do look at people who are um, years ahead of me and go, what is the advice that those people are giving me? Hmm. Right. And if those people are giving me advice and they're telling me from their experience that this is what they would do if they were my age or whatever. And I can see that, you know, they're in a position that I want to be in when I'm in my 40, 50, even like early 30s or whatever. It's like, OK, I can I can take that. I can take that that step in that direction, trusting that their life experience. Hmm. So you're consciously thinking about like, is this somebody I actually want to take advice from. I, I think you have to. I yeah. think just because someone's giving you advice, um, you have to validate what is, like, is this person someone that I can take advice from? Mm -hmm. Right? I think that's with everybody. Would I want their life? Yeah. 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 Hmm. And how have you surrounded yourself by these people? I don't think I did it. I think it, I don't think I did it intentionally at the beginning. Um, I think I'm a little bit of an old soul in some sense, right? Like I think sometimes the way I speak to people, sometimes the way I come across definitely comes across maybe, um, more mature. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more mature. Um, and so I think I've naturally just attracted those people into my life. Um, so I don't think I ever went out looking for them, but I'm very conscious of the, the people that I let influence me for sure. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of how rare it is to kind of think the way you think at your age? <laughs> like, is that, are you aware of that? Cause I can, I'm looking at you. I'm like, yeah, it's very rare I, to, to, no, to have the mindset that you do. Like, do you ever really. feel weird when you're like, see other people your but age? But I've always felt like this. Yeah. So like, I've always been that person that was just like, I'd rather be patient than be, uh, than be running a million miles a minute trying to get something done. Um, and you've lived long enough to realize that your life philosophy works for you. Like it's working. It's working for me, yeah. uh, for sure. And I've seen it not work for other people when they've taken other decisions, especially in the last two, three years. With right? real estate specifically. With real estate specifically, I've seen, well, we've seen it. You've with, seen it. With, with, with leveraged with investors? People leveraging um, when they, when I'm looking at them like, yeah, I don't know if it's time to be leveraging. And in some sense, I almost got caught up in it too. Um, but then to see the pullback and see all those people selling at massive losses and just looking at it, it's like, okay, I'm glad I listened to that advice. Okay, I'm going to listen to that advice a little bit more, mm. right? Like, I don't think I was as convinced that that was the right, like listening to those that advice was the right advice two, two years ago. Mm. Now, kind of looking back on myself. Being five years into, almost five years into investing in real estate and had consciously, well, even not consciously, but I guess subconsciously listened to those people who were 10, 15, 20 years ahead of me 
listen to their advice. Um, and now seeing the result of the kind of worst case scenario of what could happen or not worst case scenario, but like seeing the results of a bad case scenario where the market, negative side, the of, negative leverage. side of leverage. Yeah. I'm, I see the value in that, that information much more. And I'm much more appreciative that I surrounded myself with those people and that I listened to that advice. And you paid to surround yourself by these people joining things like Rockstar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes paid, sometimes unpaid. Yeah. Uh, it just depends on the scenario. Like I said, like I think I naturally attracted a lot of those people too. But yeah, like putting yourself in the right rooms. Mm. The why, the, yeah, probably older and wiser I get, the more I realize I need to just like put up blinders and just like increasingly put up more and more blinders from like the rest of the world mm. and just not focus on anything or take advice from anyone that isn't living the life I want to be living or doing things that, you know, I don't want to be doing just blinders on, you know, don't talk to me. Like don't watch the news. Like don't have any of these damn influences. Like just focus on what I know internally mm-hmm. I need to focus on because it's all like internal. It's, it's, you, you can get a lot of great advice externally, like you're saying from people down the road, but I feel like internally you have to match up with those people. You have to have the same values and goals and stuff. And so you have to know yourself internally in order to take the external advice. But you really, I think it starts internally. You got to fucking know what you want Uh and, uh, and then just block out everyone. Is, are you finding that that's been your biggest driver or are you finding just like, I just, I think people that are into real estate or living life on their terms, people (laughs) listening to this podcast, I think we're weird. I think we think differently than most people. And I feel weird when I'm around those other people because I'm like, we think nothing alike. Like, And uh, I just know that this is the path I'm supposed to be on and I can't be on this other path. So it, so it's now just consciously like, okay. Blocking those people out. Blocking those people out because yeah. it's like, all right, I know this de- internally, like know thyself. I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So fuck everything else and just focus on that. And just, uh, and I think there's strength in that because you don't feel, you don't question yourself because if you're around those other maybe circles or friends or even could be family or just social groups or stuff or just enough influence from TV or music or news mm-hmm. of people that don't think the same way, you know, maybe the more mainstream thinking about stuff, it, it influences you, yeah. right? And you start to question. Well, I even think like when you get into real estate, like you put on, you got to put on blinders to really get into the real estate, right? Like you have to ignore a lot of the the naysayers and whatever to get started. And then once you're in it, like the blinders come off again because now you're looking at it's like now real estate is so much more than what you thought it was. Yeah. And so now you got to decide where are you going to put your attention? And so you almost have to like reintroduce the blinders when you're back into real estate because there's so many different avenues you can go. You can start owning a business. You can be a realtor. You can be a mortgage broker. You could um, manage properties, manage properties, tenant placement. You You could be an architect. Yeah. There's so many different things. You can do short term rentals, midterm rentals. You can do long term rents like there's student rentals, multi-units, duplex conversion. So many different things that you can do and you have to you don't have to decide but you have to narrow your focus. If you're looking at everything going, I want to do all of it, you're going to do none of it. And so you like, even once you're in, once you've decided that I'm going to block out the rest of the world, as soon as you're in the, the small world of real estate investing, you still have to narrow down even further, mm. right? It um, is a crazy business, like it's just housing. But there's, I don't know. There's like, so many different avenues to actually make it work. Yeah. It's just awesome. <laughs> Real estate's just the best. Like, I feel like you're either attracted to it or not. Mm. How have you, you, you mentioned you're in equities and crypto. Um, and 
like anybody, like we all get distracted by shiny objects and different opportunities and stuff. Like what have, what have maybe some of those distractions been for you and why have you justified crypto and owning equities while also being a real estate investor and so focused, you know, in one niche? What do you mean? Like you're, you're into real estate. You're talking about just how you had to narrow your focus down, but you also have some crypto, you've got some equities. Like why, why have you justified those as, well, I think that's part of mostly life? passive. Like that's more of like a, am I edu educate yourself on it? Right. Like once you like, edu like first, like you have to take the time to educate yourself on it if you're going to put your money into it. So obviously if I'm going to buy into uh, like a specific uh, equity or if I'm going to buy into an ETF or if I'm going to buy crypto, like I have to understand what I'm buying into. I'm not putting my money to work for no good reason. Um, so like once I understand it, it's more of like one with equities, it's more like I'm one term, one time purchase, maybe, sorry, heartburn a little bit. Okay. We're all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like once I understand it, it's, um, we're like I'm getting in and maybe I'm selling depending on the, how the market is, but I'm, I'm not in it and distracted by it. It's like, I'm buying it. I know that I'm buying for long term, so I'm going to leave my money in there. Same with same with crypto. If I'm buying in, I kind of have a an eye on it, but like it's not the first and foremost thing that I think about when I wake up every day, mm. right? Um, and a lot of the stuff, uh, whether it's crypto or whether it's equities, um, I kind of have it on like a drip buy based on other uh, like based on the brokers that I have it with. I just have it on a drip buy based on um, like a weekly. Yeah, so you're like dollar price. cost averaging it. Yeah, exactly. And so what I guess I'm wondering with my question is like you know, why, what part do these play in your portfolio? Because you've been so successful with real estate, it's done really well for you. And you know, now it's your full-time business you're going into, like you've done so well in it. Where does crypto and equities play a role for you? Is it just having a place to invest liquid savings that you can't necessarily just, you know, put into a property on a drip weekly basis? Mm -hmm. Is that what it is for you? Um, I think it's more of a, um like is it diversifying yeah like, a what's more, your motivation a little bit more di like a, of a diversifying okay. uh reasoning uh sure. i've been uh, especially and it's only been probably within the last three four years that i've really been starting going in that direction um i think prior to that i was so heavily invested uh, everything i had was in real estate um and so i started probably about three years ago really kind of dabbling with equities and real and and crypto uh and then as things started petering down i started uh getting a little bit more involved in it now it's more of like this is a hedge uh against against real not against real estate but it's just diversifying in other areas of the economy that uh could prove uh beneficial other economies that kind of thing mm -hmm. right how have your family and friends uh dealt with your journey along the way <laughs> How have they perceived there's, there's, what you're up? There have been ups and downs. <laughs> has there? Yeah, I'm sure there are with you too, right? Like they weren't necessarily on board per se uh, when I started. Now they're not necessarily uh, against it, but they're very cautious about the the path you're on. Yeah, they are hesitant to give me advice. I think sometimes just because um, we are in different wavelengths. Sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, mom, leave me alone. I'm yeah, yeah. Leave me alone. Just let me find another house. <laughs> yeah, I found that with my parents. I'm like, hey, so we're buying Bye. another house. <laughs> like, what? I know. 
like what are you serious i'm like yeah and they're like okay did, like did you find that happen <laughs> because the environment that you grew up in wasn't like because like i always wonder if my upbringing was more of an entrepreneurial upbringing where my parents were had their own businesses or had their own rental properties or yeah. did their own thing or had large stakes in equity companies or other equities um that maybe that experience would be different yeah, yeah. um that's what i always i'm always thinking about um do you find that you think that it would have been dramatically different if you if your parents were involved in a lot more for sure yeah i mean yeah. i would just would have known about it from them instead of having to discover it on my own mm -hmm. which is fine i mean like they were living their best life and they're just you if you you're not entrepreneurial, you're just not entrepreneurial. But like I was just born wired this way. Mm -hmm. So I always have been. And so I had to find that outside of the home, right? And then that can create a conflict when you're inside the home and wanting to get into this stuff. But it's two different ways of living your life or yeah. goals and values. And um, so yeah, it, it, it does create a conflict. But um, you know, if you have good parents, which I think you really do, and, and I do for sure, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, you still share all the other same values and stuff. You just defer on how you're going to live your life and make your money and the risks you take and how comfortable you are with that. Right. Yeah. You know, but it can create those conflicts for sure. And then friends along the way for me, like, um, maybe just naturally attracting, like you were talking about, like you just naturally kind of gravitate to the friends that are on the similar path. And then the friends that aren't, maybe you just separate over time. Yeah. Which is I, natural. Well, I think that's natural. 20s anyways. Just, I think that's just growing up in general. Too, yeah. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, but I, I do think that how you carry yourself and the mindset that you're in attracts certain people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, I know I've been very deliberate with who I kind of let into my circle. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like I was kind of saying before, um, we, I've like a lot of my close friends are not in real estate. Like my closest friends are not in real estate, but they all have their own thing that they're, I would consider experts at mm -hmm. in their own way. And they're extremely passionate about what they do. And mm -hmm. so we connect on that aspect. Yeah. On the passion of it rather than on the specific topic. Because uh, to be honest with you, I don't want to be surrounded by real estate investors all the time. Right? Like it's it's kind of exhausting when you're all you're thinking about is just the market, especially in an economy right now. Right? And also you can the blinders that you have can sometimes um, leave you exposed to maybe faults that you're not seeing. Yeah. Right? You can be in an echo chamber for sure. Exactly. Um, so I've found surrounding myself with people who are outside of the circle, but mm. still have their, are still bright and uh, have their own uh, businesses or have their own passions on the side. That's been beneficial to me because it gives me a kind of a, a third eye, if you will, looking back at myself going, okay, am I making the right decisions? Um, like, is this the right path? Maybe something that they said triggered something that maybe made me think about something a different way, right? Um, or maybe it re, um, like it, uh, what's, what's the word that I'm looking for? Reaffirmed. Reaffirmed. The path you're the on. The path that I'm on, yeah. yeah. So you started buying when you were 24. 24? Tw 24. 24. You're 29 now. Um, you've got a path, a purpose, a direction that real estate's given you. You enjoy it clearly. Um, like you're like serious about it. I can tell you're looking at me seriously. <laughs> like this is my thing. Wait, what's next? Just build this business up. Continue doing it. Like you're just in, you're just doing it for the love of it. I can tell. I feel like something. And obviously you're trying to make some money and earn yeah. a good living and, yeah, yeah. and create that freedom for yourself. But 
just continue doing what you're doing. You're making 80 year old Joe proud. You're making 20 year old Joe proud. Mm-hmm. Just, just keep you know, doing what you're doing. You say that. Like, I feel like you just seem very settled and calm yeah. and, and confident in your path. I, I feel like at this point I'm just doing it cause I love it yeah. rather than doing it because I want to make a dime. Um, now I, I think I, I need to get a little bit more uncomfortable than I have been maybe in the last little bit, kind of put uh, myself a little bit on a more of a passive trajectory um, while I was kind of liquidating some assets and while I was positioning myself to be in a better position um, to start buying again. But now I'm now that everything's stabilized, now that everything um, like everything's cash flowing again, everything's all all working out. I'm in a better position where I'm like, now I need to be a little bit more aggressive in going after things. Um, and so my focus right now is building the business and bringing on partners. And that's the two focuses that I have. Okay. All right. How can people find out more about you? Uh, so they can, uh, they can check me out on Instagram. It's uh, Joseph Costanza. It'll probably be in the show notes um, or uh, on my website at zasweets.com. Okay. And your Instagram in particular, I don't know if there's other platforms you're posting on as much, but your Instagram, you're pumping out content all the time, right? Uh, what is that? Con- I haven't been in the last little bit, but definitely, yeah, I'm, tr- I'm going to be on. Well, there's like a year's worth before that, there is. that yeah, there <laughs> people is. can catch up on. <laughs> what, uh, what is that content mainly centered around? Uh, mainly- What's the value there for people to, to give you a follow? Because I know you're pumping out a lot of stuff. Mainly real estate information, content about what I'm doing, uh, just general kind of uh, my take on maybe the real estate environment that we're in, um, my take on kind of how you should go about it if you're kind of a new time investor, um, just more of my thoughts uh, than anything else. Um, I'm not trying to preach to anybody or, or giving anybody the, the golden ticket to success or anything like that, but it's more of just like these are my thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. This is what I see. Um, people are welcome to follow and, and join along and engage if they, uh, if they want. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, it's cool what you've accomplished. I know Tammy, you're a rockstar coach here. Super proud of you. You guys have a close relationship. Yeah, we do. I think you call her mom or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's a long story. It's a long story. <laughs> what is the story on that? We got to drop that in. For okay. Tammy here. So the long story here is, uh, me and Tammy went to a property that we probably shouldn't have went to cause we didn't have an appointment, but Tammy had the code. Uh, and and so, uh, there was another appointment that Tammy had booked and we were, so we were at that showing basically taking over that other, um, uh, that other agents, uh, showing time. And we got there and as we were leaving, the agent of the house walks up and I was like, and I turned to Tammy and I was like, just tell her you're, I'm your mom or you're my mom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it was. I don't know the exact situation, but like after that, that was just kind of like the, the running joke going forward for like the next four years. Yeah. And she's like, why didn't you say sister? Right? (laughs) Yeah. Basically, basically. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Okay. Awesome stuff. Keep it up and we'll we'll definitely put all that stuff in the show notes and, uh, just keep doing what you're doing, man. It's it's inspiring. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Take care. A big thank you to Joe Costanza for recording not one podcast with me, but two podcasts. So thank you for that, Joe. I'll forever be paranoid again about making sure I hit the record button. And I really enjoyed talking with you and getting to know you better. You can follow Joe on Instagram at Joseph Costanza. 
that's all one word, Joseph Costanza, and check out his website at zasuites.com. That's his architect website. And if you're interested in learning more about Florida real estate investing, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com slash Florida to learn more about this opportunity we now have access to. We've got some great resources on this page for you to learn more about Florida real estate, and we'll likely be adding many more resources on this page as time goes on. We do have some limited spots left to come on the Florida, the first ever Rockstar Educational Florida property tour that's happening at the end of this month uh, from November 29th to December 2nd. However, these spots left are going quickly uh, at the time of recording this. We're now at, I think, 27 people confirmed. So if you're interested in attending this tour with us on the Rockstar team and a bunch of Rockstar members to learn about how to invest in Florida rental properties, discover their market more, tour through their cities and investment properties, um, do some fun events altogether, some meetups and some fun holiday things down there. You can email us at members at rockstarbrokerage.com. Rockstar members uh, have open access to come on this tour. And if you're not a Rockstar Inner Circle member, we'll do our best to see if uh, we can have you tag along as well, if you're interested. So you can email members at rockstarbrokerage.com for that. And for more info on the tour and, and how to invest in Florida real estate in general, go to rockstarinnercircle.com slash Florida. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.